As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing wonderful. It finally feels like fall here in Las Vegas, which is what does just that mean? High seventies. <laughs> it feels it's like it's like late <laughs> August weather. Everything's like a month behind here, you know, as far as like how I how you grew up as well in Illinois and how I grew up in Minnesota, like. You know, we in October, like the weather is perfect here. November is pretty good. And then it drops off a cliff and it's that desert cold here in like December and January, like just that bone chilling wind, nothing to break it, nothing like that. But I will put up with that way more than I'll ever put up with another Minnesota winter. You're you're never going anywhere else. You're already too soft. You're broken. There's no going back now. West coast, best coast. I I was born in Seattle (laughs) and I just moved back to the West coast, West coast ish. Pacific time zone, and yeah, I'm never moving back. Best best sports time zone as well. I will stand on that argument always. Oh, you said it, mountain. You're a big mountain, right? For for sports, mountain time zone guy. Uh, mountain's good. I, I I enjoy the central time zone though. I don't mind it. Um, as my bedtime is getting earlier and earlier, it gets a little <laughs> bit different. But we have to do the games that I would typically watch late at night anyway. So I'm up. I just need a little bit of a, a quick cat nap in the afternoon in order to get through them. That's where we are in life. I always wondered that. I know. I've only had to do an immediate career on a Pacific time zone. So it's like, you know, it's late for me. And I, I, I always think about that. It's like you started. It was 11. worse in my 20s because I would watch games on Sunday and it was 10 a.m. And I'm just deathly hungover as like a 26 year old rolling into my boss's house to watch football games, probably still reeking of beer and barely able to function. Now, if I was living on the West Coast, I'm up at 8 a.m. every day, no matter right. what. It doesn't matter how late I'm up. It doesn't matter what I've done, which I don't really do anything anymore. And I'd be ready to go. So it, I just fl- I should have flipped it. I should have been on the West Coast in my 30s, not in my 20s. But yeah. nonetheless, my, my, we, we've reached a nice point here. I can I can time survive. Zone, my time zone journey is having a nice full circle moment. So it's it's been pleasant. Uh, you're getting to fall over there in Las Vegas. It is already winter here in Chicago, and I'm not talking about the weather. What a 24 hours in the Chicago Bears building and at House Hall. I don't even know where we want to start with this. I wouldn't have even talked about this if it had not gotten to such a devastating, ridiculous point. The GM of the Chicago Bears on Thursday, September 21st, the Thursday after week two, 
had to call an impromptu press conference today because things had gotten so bad on like three different levels in their building. The quarterback came out yesterday during a press conference and said coaching was the reason that he was playing so slow. Then the quarterback had to give another interview at his locker in order to clarify that he was not throwing the coaches under the bus yesterday, and he just wanted to make that clear, and everyone took his words out of context, which we can talk about. Then the defensive coordinator resigns. I don't want to do the speculation game on this. We have no idea what's going on. But having your defensive coordinator resign two weeks into the season is worse than not having him resign two weeks into the season. So now you have the GM coming out. Here's the quote from today. First and foremost, hit it straight on. We have adversity right now. Slow start, 0-2, not where you want to be. We've dealt with life issues. We've dealt with injuries. And that's all real. And that's all part of what we do and what we got to deal with. To make it really, really clear... I know the outside noise, but no one in our building is panicking. No one is flinching at any situations, not our owner, not our president, our head coach, myself, none of our players. Everyone is focusing on solving the issues that we have so we can be a better football team. It's September 21st. What do you make of this? If you're an employee of that team, how do you feel this morning? Just can we get to Sunday? Like you just get to the next game so we can like try and wash this all away. But just also... Even for, like, as an employee, it's just there is noise. No matter what, you can say we ignore the noise. It's impossible to ignore any type of noise, especially when it's somebody that is in a powerful position in your organization, as a coordinator is. It is an absolutely powerful position <laughs> that is, uh, I mean, the second, like, uh, one of the top lieutenants on the coaching staff, which have a lot of say in that building. So I think. For me personally, I even after the Fields comments, I went to Twitter and I was like, oh, okay, we'll see. We'll, I had a little comment about something that I'll talk, I'll repeat on here. And I was like, I'm not going to talk bears until like October or Halloween. And then it's like an hour later, more stuff just starts compiling out. And I'm just, I, I just don't even know what to make of it. It's like, oh my God, it's not even quarterback play. It's just all this. And what this is, is just, it's not good. And uh, no matter how you shake it. I understand that he wanted to clarify his comments, but I understand where Justin Fields is coming from. It feels like he's overloaded when you watch him play football right now, and I'm sure he's clamoring to play a little bit looser and a little bit freer. I don't know how that happens, but I can understand it. So that, But that's a drop in the bucket when you consider everything else that's going on. Yeah. And the frustrating part about this, as, as a Bears fan nominally, but just as anyone who's watching this, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Even if... I wasn't overly optimistic about what this team was going to be. And you can go back and listen to our preview about the Bears. I was pessimistic about how this was all going to shake out. I wasn't one of these people that had this rosy, sunshiny outlook Mm. for what the offense and what the team was going to be. They still had so far to go. But even if you weren't all that excited about what the end result might look like, there was still supposed to be progress. It was still supposed to be trending in the right direction, even if the steps were incremental. Now we're in a spot where two weeks into the season, they're having to put out fires in the media, and I'm sitting here clicking into, ah, what pick could they get? Like, if they could they get two top five picks with that Panthers pick? It's September 21st, and I don't feel like it's out of line to already be thinking about that. And that's something that, even in the worst case scenario, you should be thinking about in December. So it's just so incredibly, it, it's so incredible, and it's so shocking and whiplashy how fast we've gone from, oh, look at that haul they got from the number one pick. Look at all the pieces they can put around the quarterback. Man, the vibes around here are really good to where we are right now. It's just shocking how fast it happened. And even just 
how fast it's all happening is like exactly what Justin Fields is saying. Uh, it's that it, it even like, I mean, seriously though, he, um, and that's, that's kind of what I, I'll start with fields first and watching him watching Justin Fields. And I watched the, the Bucks game and all 22 and everything. And it's been dissected. I mean, his footwork in the shotgun is becoming a talking point, which is just blowing my mind. That is such a personal preference thing for quarterbacks. That's like, that is such a non non-starter for argument things. But anyways, uh, it's, he hit, hit it on the head. What's going on. He's, he always tries to do everything too perfect. And that is kind of what has always been his biggest blemish. And you appreciate him taking coaching points, but he overthinks everything. And I think anyone that's struggled with a sport or an activity or a hobby or something that they want to get good at golf, that, that, that goes through your mind. Oh, keep your elbow in. Okay. You know, don't swing, swing uh, like through, but don't swing too hard. Turn that wrist over. And then all of a sudden you just start thinking all that and it gets worse. It's over. And it just starts compounding and it starts unraveling. It, it really does. I wanted to look at this, this offense and this team after about four to six weeks. So I can just kind of, everything's settled, but it's like, they just, the bad is like, there, it's, there's more average there than I think people realize, but mm-hmm. the, the bad plays are just so bad. And yes. that's why it makes it look so worse, so much worse. Even something like Chase Claypool runs a route wrong, okay, which he did a couple times. But one I'm, I'm thinking in particular against the Bucks, the deep curl route, and he kind of breaks in on it, and the now the throw looks so bad because Fields is throwing where he thinks it should be. So it's like okay, that probably might have been already a miss anyways because it would have been a tight throw, but now it looks awful. And and then of course you know the screen and uh, pick six, and it's just like oh my goodness. But then there's. You just like watch a lot of some of these stretches, some of these drives, and it looks decent. And it's like why? That's why. That's why I wanted to have more like uh, just kind of data points on all this. But the, like I said, it's just the bad is so bad sometimes. Not just offense, but sometimes this whole team, and even on the defense side uh, against the Bucks in particular, it's like the defensive like interior, the young guys all had flashes. It's like this should have been a game that should have like made you have a good taste in your mouth, and then just. But no, and it's just like they just can't get out of their own way. And that just kind of seems to be the story of the Bears. Yeah, and I, I think that that's right. The play on the field doesn't necessitate this sort of panic. I'm worried. Yeah. I'm really worried. There are stretches in that game where you, it just can't happen. That four-play yeah. stretch on the outside of the red zone where he takes those two sacks and the play where Roshan Johnson's run wide open up the seam, it can't happen in an NFL Oh, game. yeah. The, it the can't. all-go running back That one was brutal. And there oh, was a, he, he turned down he one of two plays that. before. And yeah. that just can't happen. And so you yeah. think, okay, if he is overthinking it a little bit, can those be fewer and further between? But it's not just the play on the field. It's everything else that's going around that yeah. just makes it feel like we're devolving into this nightmarish situation. And... Let's what the, they play the Chiefs this week, which is not a great place to start. No, but if they can just string some decent play together on both yeah. sides of the ball, the noise starts to quiet a little bit. Yep. But until that happens, nothing is going to get quieter. This is going to be at a roar, especially if things yep. continue with this clip or maybe potentially even get worse. So again, this is not something I necessarily wanted to have to address right. two weeks into the season, but they've made it such a talking point and it's such a national story right now that we have to. It's. Just be normal. Just please be normal for a week. That's all we ask. And they cannot pull that off. And it's just no. staggering the fact that we're here right now. Let's talk about some teams that are playing much better and in much better situations. We did this last week, and I think it's a good thing to revisit early in the season. We're going to play some Are You Buying This with some 2-0 and teams right now. I want to talk about the Washington football team and their 2-0 and start, first and foremost here. Are you buying Washington and this kickoff to the season? I think I am. 
I unbelievably am <laughs> buying them way more than I ever thought. I thought I'd buy, I, I'm already bought on the defense. That that is yeah, 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 sealed. Yeah. I got the warranty. We're we're good. We're good. And thing. they're playing well. And the fact that Chase Young looked like he did on Sunday, that's, combined with everything else they have on that side of the ball, that's just gravy. You got to feel thing. really good about that group right now if you're a Washington it's, fan. It's like it's. I mean, just any good group or good unit, it's they take turns, but it's okay. On Sunday, it was Deron Payne. All right, he dominates. But and then Chase Young closes at the in the fourth quarter. He has some big moments. And then, you know, Jonathan Allen's going to have games where he takes over. And then Montez Sweat <laughs> could be your fourth best guy, third best guy. And he would be. If he hits free agency, he's going to make $20 million a year. Yes. Montez Sweat. Yes, and he's I'm, easily the third biggest name and maybe the fourth best player along that defensive line when Chase Young is rolling. Which is insane. It's and they play well. They play hard. The back end is doing some fun stuff. Um, they they got some young talent there. They they're. I mean, Emmanuel Forbes kind of encapsulates that because he's such a he's kind of a big game hunter at corner, and he's just so aggressive. You like that and so, though? I love that with, I love with a defensive him. line like that. Having somebody that's just going to try to take yes. the ball away all the time. I love that mindset combined with the other personnel that they have. Yep, a good corner knows. Hey, I got. I only have two seconds. He's got to get rid of this ball, so I can. I can like bite or like really trigger on some of these things. And you saw it. You saw it against Denver. We already knew all this, though. The offense is where we didn't know what it was going to look like. And I went back through and watched that entire game against the Broncos. There are like five or six plays in that game that made me sit up straight in my chair. And it's a combination of the way he's playing quarterback, the designs of the offense the personnel that they have, it's all coming together in such mm-hmm. a way that it's really hard to not be enthusiastic about the product that they're putting on the field on that side of the ball right now. S- sitting up in your chair is exactly right. It's like th- he had some real throws, not just like the crazy John Bates one that you tweeted that I just I, I howled when I saw that. The fact that he was even letting, willing to let that rip is awesome. Like That just says so much about the mindset that they're playing <laughs> so, with right now. Someone got on uh, – on- I always, it's Justin Simmons. Someone got on Justin Simmons and was like, I don't know what the call is here. I don't know what Justin Simmons is doing. It was like a Broncos fan. And it's like, Justin Simmons doesn't think Sam Howell is going to throw a whole shot 25, 30 yards down the field to John Bates. And I like John Bates, but let's be understanding who what John Bates is. He is not a whole shot ball catcher 30 yards down the field. So, But that's what he is. That's what he was in college. Like at North Carolina, he's a big game hunter. He was go balls and creation, held the ball too long, will take a shot, but he's tough as hell. That, but he had some progression, especially over the middle, that I gets me excited about him. Gets me go, hey, some of this is more. He's going to take sex. That's going to be his thing. But he's a, he's taking ten in two be, games. It's it that's yeah. going to be something to monitor moving forward because Absolutely. some of the numbers are really funny. They're eighth in EPA per attempt this year, but EPA per dropback they're fourteenth drop because of all the okay. sacks that he's taking. He'll hang out of that ball. <laughs> he's got a longer motion. He kind of lets it rip a little a second late, but he's got big gun, a big arm. Uh, that he lets it, like will let those things rip, and he's a big game hunter, and he's a pretty good runner. Uh, but it's there's one play where he he progressed to a backside dig, and what was so cool about it was it's a coverage that you'll see more and more and more and more. It's not going away. I mean, the Big Ten used to run it when I was at Wisconsin. It's just it's a version of quarters called like four push or poach, and it's where the backside safety, if there's a vertical route from the other the other trip side. He pushes to that to help out on it. And the best throws against that are backside digs because of leverage that it works. But the quarterback's got to see it and got to get to it and got to rip it. And he hit one. And those are the throws that make me like optimistic about 
this is okay. Like he, there's going to be, there's going to be some lows with him, but I think there's enough highs that makes him exciting to watch at the very least. I know the exact player talking about is first and 20 and he got to it very quickly. And you love to see that. And I think that play encapsulates a lot of this because part of the reason all that space is created for that backside did dig is how much heat they bring at you on that front side with all those receivers that they have Mm -hmm. the vertical elements of that passing game and how they're really leaning into it with how they're using those guys. It's just an offense where you can feel the juice at those pass catching spots. And when you have a quarterback that's willing to tap into it the way that he has been, whether it's that post to McLaurin or just using the space that's created, that's really encouraging. And you combine that with some little nuances within the offense where I'm like, okay, the screen game rules. They, they caught threw, him every time. That that screen that they threw to Cole Turner, where it was the throwback screen, it was a middle screen where they fake the one to the running back and then they come back to the tight end in the middle. It's perfectly timed. It's perfectly executed. And what have we always said about one of the hallmarks of Andy Reid offenses over mm-hmm. the last two decades? The screen game and how well-tuned it is and the details of it. You can already feel that in two games with what Washington looks like. Yep. On screen passes thus far this year, they are 9 of 10 for 103 yards. They're averaging 10.3 yards per attempt on screens. How many, how many first downs? I felt like they got a first down every single time. I think it's, I think uh, nine. I think so. I I feel like they got a first down every single time they did it. And you talk about efficiency stats, that game against Denver. And this is why this is so exciting because even if the defense is what it was last year and over the last couple of years, the offense was horrible last year. They averaged 0.23 EPA per play against the Broncos. That is the first time Washington has done that in a game since October of 2021. It's the third time they've done it since 2016. Since 2016? Yes. Man, I didn't realize it was that dire. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense, though. They did it three times. Once in 2017, once in 2019, once in 2021. That's what the offense has looked like for each like the last five years, essentially in the post-Kirk Cousins era. And that's why this feels different. And that's why it feels real. Because the flashes that you've seen, it is a departure from what we've seen from them on offense over the last couple of years. And we'll see what happens. It's early in the season, yeah. but that partnership with Bienemy and with him and the players that they have on that side of the ball, I'm excited about it. I cannot wait to keep watching it because it, the very least it is a fun brand of football right now. It is. It, there's going to be some real highlights, especially with those pass catchers and, and how just letting it rip. He's going to give them chances. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. He's a true hell or high water quarterback that, and those can be a lot of fun. Um, the last thing too, is that the offensive line is like, looked like more than good uh, uh, against the Broncos, like way better than expectations that I had for them. So Especially with how many new is, pieces that they have. The way yeah, that they were they passing off cohesive. stuff with like Gates and Cosme and, yep. and Wiley, I thought played decent. Leno had some tough moments against Nick Benito. Yep. And that's something to monitor. He's in his thirties at this point. He's getting up there. He's been in the league for a long time, but Benito with all the like moving parts up there, it looks yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> they've got some pass rushers on that side. <laughs> yeah, so do. that's potentially going to happen, yeah. but I'm with you. I, I think that there's a lot of reason yeah. for optimism. Another 2-0 team we could talk about here is those Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are surprisingly 2-0. Are you buying the Baconacence? Is that what we're going with? That's what we're going with. I like McConaissance, so that's what I'm going with. This game, potentially, these first couple games for Baker here, if this goes well, this is the magic mic of Baker's career where he comes roaring back and then we just got to have the takeoff after this. I like that. I like that. This is the true grit. Uh, for Josh Brolin, like this, this is the for Baker, you know, he's a former star, number one pick from the Goonies. Um, it's but he, he's he's Baker, he's firing Baker. It's hilarious. So are you buying he, it? You answer the question. No, not a little bit, but no. 
<laughs> I I'm I'm buying that this team will be frisky, but as like a true playoff team, I just think some of the stuff Baker's getting away with won't be as sustainable. Not to say yeah. that he isn't playing fairly well and making some great throws. These are great pass catchers. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are really good football players. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> and like Kate Otten's playing okay. Rashad White's playing okay. I just think Baker was nailing every single throw when he had a hand in his face. It's like it's like someone hitting 18 footers in basketball with a hand in his face over and over. It's like, okay, you can't make 18 in a row. Like he's not Kobe. But and then like I think on top of that is a lot of it's just on third down. Um, first and second down, this offense hasn't been great. They're 27th uh, so. in success rate on offense this year so far. 27th. On, on first and second down? I knew just it wasn't period. good. They're 27th overall. Oh, just period? Overall, yeah, they're exactly. 27th in success it's all third rate. Down big, it's all third down big plays. It's, it's just not usually a sticky. He is 20 of 23 on third down. 20 of 23 20 on of down. 23 on third down. That's insane. When blitzed I mean, on third down, he's 5 of 5 for 84 yards and four first downs. And we know Baker's been really great against the Blitz his entire career. That's, That's <laughs> part of it, is that some yeah. of the elements of his game just don't seem sustainable. Him weaseling out of pressure, what he's doing yeah. against the Blitz. And he's played against two defenses that might be really, really bad. And even if the Bears' underlying numbers, especially on early downs this year, have been fine, that is probably going to be the most toothless pass rush Wait. in the NFL over the course of right. an entire season. And right. that may be a weakness of the Bucks. We just haven't gotten to notice it yet because they played against the worst pass rush in football last weekend. Well, I mean, their right guard, their rookie right guard, Cody uh, Mock. Cody Mock. Mock. Cody Mock. 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 Duh. Mock. Um, come on, Nate. I'm teaching myself these names. And, uh, like, I knew that. I'm not. I know you, what he I'm going like. to tell Dane that you did this because he's going to be so upset with you. So mad. So mad. Oh, my God. I, when we do those shows, Prospects Pros, I make sure I'm like, I, I look like I'm like, okay, don't embarrass he yourself in front of the Cody king. Mock. You, you're going to be in did. big trouble. He's looked a little rough. Uh, so I, I, that's the thing. We knew he's going to take some time. Small school guy. Like he's converted tight end. He's got some good athletic traits. Needs a little more in the pants right now. Uh, he's got, he's a little light in the pants. So it's kind of, he's, he was getting a little pushed around a little bit. Having said that, Tristan Wirfs looks fantastic at left tackle. And I actually like how uh, Gadecki looks at right tackle right now. And so they, you know, it's, it's interesting up there. But why I'm saying that is now they're playing the Eagles who have this guy named Jalen Carter. <laughs> Uh, so I, that is a, a one matchup. I'm going to be very keen on watching this, uh, on Monday and see if, how Baker does with maybe a little more consistent pressure right in his grill. It is a very good test after playing the bears last week, but yeah. even like little moments in that game, he tries to throw a pick to Jaquan, to Jaquan Brisker on the first drive of the game. Like oh, he yeah, tries right. his best to throw a pick to him on like, the third play of the game. The huge Mike Evans play. I think it was on the second or third drive. Mike Evans shoves Decked him. Tyreek Tyree Stevenson out of the way. Like, shoves him out of the way and then goes for 65 yards. Stevenson gets up and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I, I, I was, no one's going to see this. No one's going to say anything about this. Yeah. This is even like Bears fan bitterness. I don't care. No. It's oh, just no, hilarious, it's hilarious that he got away with it. Yeah. So those are no, two plays right there. Yeah, that's funny. I know. And it's there had another one. Oh, I think it was the one to Brisker. But no, it might have been a different one. There was a, it was like an empty play. And you could tell Baker, hell or high water, it was going to go to the backside dig on it. Like he was like, I'm going to progress through this. And the front side on it had, it was stick concept, which is just like a little quick out from the, from the tight end spot. And guys wide open. It's like, that's number one. You're, you're throwing it at like you, you never pass that up. It's eight yards basically guaranteed. And, but you knew that he predetermined he was going to the backside. And I was like, never change Baker. Like this is just exactly how he's always played, which is sometimes works, but sometimes it really doesn't. So we'll see if it can sustain. It's funny because when I watch Sam Howell, I, I get Baker Mayfield vibes, but I, I like him more. 
And so it's, it's they're like two sides of the same coin here. It's like a funhouse mirror looking at these two teams that w- staring at each other. It's the it's the Gordon Ramsay meme when he's like yelling at the yelling at the one person. He's like, you, you know, you're you're an idiot, you're a moron. And then he goes to like the other person. Oh, you're perfect. You're okay. You're okay. Everything's perfect. Yeah, everything's perfect. Number one pick, fifth round pick. That's how you treat him. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Let's get to the game of the week, and we're just leaning into this, man. We're caricatures of ourselves, and I'm totally fine with that. Falcons-Lions is our game of the week here on the Athletic Football Show. Just so everyone said, as soon as we mentioned that we're doing this game, Robert goes, eight minutes. Eight (laughs) minutes. And he's just saying it to me. He's like, just (laughs) filter yourself. Eight minutes. (laughs) We're talking about this game because it is a game between two good teams so far this season, and I think it's going to have really big playoff implications come December. We're going to look at this game in the head-to-head matchup, I think, that having real meaning when we're trying to figure out wildcard teams and how those playoff spots shake out in the NFC. These teams are 10th and 11th in offensive success rate this season, Detroit and Atlanta respectively, and I think it's going to have real stakes as we get deeper into the season. So where do you want to start your eight minutes on this game? Okay, so to shorten it, both teams are probably going to use a similar line of attack, which is makes sense. Both of these teams like play action. They like more vertical concepts. They like to address the run game in different ways. But so I hope you like big personnel groupings with a lot of tight ends. I hope you like motion and I hope you like play action because both of these teams, especially the Lions. So the Lions defense, I'll say. So we'll start Falcons offense, Lions defense. The Lions defense is the second worst defense when they have four DBs on the field. They're in base personnel. The we talked Falcons, about this on Sunday night. Wait, yes. the, the Seahawks absolutely the Seahawks carved them up out of 13 personnel on Sunday night. It, and I think and that's a week, and that's exactly a game Arthur Smith is going to watch first is the most recent game. And having the like why that's important is the Falcons run 11 personnel with three receivers. 
the lowest rate in the entire NFL. And it's not low, like just barely. They run it at like 10 or 11%. And like one other team's in the 20s. And then it's like everybody else is like around 50%. So it's- Their they're, cousins, they're the, the Ravens moved out of town. So now they're the only one in the neighborhood. That's exactly it. They, uh, yeah, it's this. So why, like this matchup uh, for that one right there is like, I think it's gonna be a play action game. I think they're going to give them big bodies, try and get them to match. They're going to pass the ball on that. The Falcons are always going to feed the run game. So B. John Robinson owners, don't worry. But this, the uh, Lions last year were the second worst defense in terms of success rate out of base. This year, they're the second worst defense in terms of success rate out of base. This year, they're the worst defense against the pass out of base, like we're saying all the Seahawks stuff. So I think you're going to just see a whole lot of that. And Arthur Arthur Smith is probably really licking his chops here to take advantage of the linebackers of the Lions right now. A lot of misdirection, screens. This is exactly in the Falcons' wheelhouse. So I think they it's a pretty good matchup for them. Having said that, I think it's a pretty good matchup for the same reasons for the Lions side. A couple things to note on that side of the ball. CJ Gardner-Johnson is a torn peck, so he's going on IR, which is a big blow to that defense. Emmanuel Mosley already not practicing. Kirby Joseph not practicing, but it does look like he's going to play on Sunday. So this is a banged-up secondary that's now playing against the defense or an offense that presents a lot of problems. Yeah, you don't want backups against the Falcons offense because they're going to they're gonna do the We've, we've said game. this. Exactly. Yeah. We've said this. I mean, they're going to be able to take advantage of bad defenses or weaknesses yes. in defensive personnel. They're 14th yep. in passing success rate so far this year. Like Their passing game yep. has been solid. I think Ritter has shown some flashes, even if it's been a little uneven at times. Important yep. to remember, we're in start six for a third round pick. So exactly. I think he's shown plenty to be encouraged about. And the run game has been excellent. I mean, I mean truly Amazing. excellent. They've run the ball out of heavy personnel this season 63 times in two games, which is no by, far, like 10, it, it's by far the most in the league. I yeah. think there are other teams that are at like 40-something, but it's by okay. far the most in the league. They have 300 yards on those 63 carries. They're averaging .12 EPA per rush. For context, that would be a very good quarterback. Like yeah. That's a top 10 rate for passing. And that's what they've done running the ball. So they are the offense we expected them to be for good and for ill, by the way. Yes. Driving Kyle Pitts people nuts, but they are moving the ball efficiently. They are. It's it's fun. And like uh, the the Ritter rewatch was a lot of positive takeaways from it. Again, after he gets hit once, he calms down for whatever reason. So as that game went along, I, I really did think he made some nice throws, especially on third down. So it was it was how Ritter played that game after that interception and really the little red zone kind of like throw up or whatever he had, it was, that's exactly how he has to play. That is the, right now I think he's like 16th in success rate. It's like, yeah, there it is. That's exactly what you need to play because that run game is so good. Um, Also just the Falcons defense going against this Lions offense is uh, Nate Landman stepped in and played. He's a undrafted free agent last year and played. He actually played okay. But why I want to bring his name up, he stepped in for Troy Anderson is because his sister is named Ocean Trail. And I just I found that Ocean out. Ocean Trail Landman, Ocean Trail Landman. So I, I why do to, you know this? Because I just looked him up. I was like, all right. And then on his Wikipedia page, it's like two of his siblings played sports, and then one of them his. It's like his brother Bob and his sister Ocean Trail, and like his dad was like a rugby player, a very interesting guy, and not just because his name is Nate. Uh, but I do want to talk to him about that. Yeah, big time. It was a sack or a TFL. It was a sack, yeah, right? Or no, no sack, K- sack, sack. Kate and Ellis had the sack. They they wear the same numbers, so it's and very hard to it. tell them apart. But I think Kate and Ellis had the sack. But Lamon had yeah. a big TFL in that game. Troy yeah. Anderson should be back next mm-hmm. to Kate and Ellis in this defense. Other injury note worth pointing out: Jeff Akuda is slated to make his debut this season. That's right. And after watching Trey Flowers last week, 
and him struggling against the Packers. That's big. I never thought Jeff Okuda's return would be so important to a defense, but right now it, it really is the weakest point that the Falcons have. So that's definitely something worth monitoring. It's like three and a half wicks, you think? Oh my uh, gosh, I didn't even think about that. Right? I didn't either until right now. I'd say three and a half because it seemed amicable at the end. If it was yeah. Patricia still, I'd be like, yeah, five. I think amicable. I think they tried their best. It just was something yeah. where he needed a fresh start. Three, three yeah. and a half probably seems right. Yeah, the so, Falcons no, defense. And I want to talk about Falcons defense for a second before we dig yeah. into what we think Detroit might do on offense. I'm intrigued by the Falcons defense. And watching that game against Green Bay, what it reminded me of a little bit, and stick with me through this, it reminded me of watching the Ravens early last season. You have a new defensive coordinator, you have a lot of new defensive personnel, and they're throwing a lot of stuff against the wall. Mm -hmm. They're running funky versions of inverted cover two with the safety walk down. They're, They're trying a ton of different stuff, and it's uneven. One time it worked, one time it was a whole shot for a 30 yard game. I think that's going to happen as they figure out what they want to be on defense. But I like the makeup of it, and it honestly kind of reminds me of the Ravens last year. Jesse Bates is your kind of Marcus Williams elite safety. He can do everything for you. He's playing great, they a, too. They have an elite corner in A.J. Terrell. Not any real plus dominating pass rushers up front, but they've got a decent amount of bodies. Grady Jarrett, Onyemata, Calias Campbell, you know, the edge guys aren't really impactful players, but they have enough of a rotation where they can do some stuff. Onyemata is probably their best one-on-one pass rusher right now. That's not a good thing, right? Like that, that's not what you want, but if you, their linebackers are probably their best pass rushers, which is where the Ravens were at times last year. So I think there's a lot of similarities. And even if it's going to be uneven at times, they've been solid on defense through two games. And I do think that there's a chance the arrow is pointing up moving forward. That being said, it, it, this is oh. a real challenge this week. <laughs> yes, uh, against a very good offensive game planner in Ben Johnson and Jared Goff, who's playing well. Uh, it's a I do like how, and I said this on the Sunday show, was that I felt like the Falcons' defense is communicating very well in the back end, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's a Jesse Bates thing, uh, along with the coaches. But he really gets they they motions and everything, passing things off. I've been very impressed. It's like the bones look okay. Like at least, or the DNA, it looks like they're really creating something okay there. But like you mentioned, it's just incomplete, and they're very stout up front, but they're not very bendy or athletic. Yeah, there's not a lot yeah. of explosiveness. Bud Dupree and Clyde Campbell—they're playing Clyde Campbell at the end at like 300 something pounds, which is hilarious. But it's like they're stout. They're like, okay, we're, it's going to be a hoss fight between the Lions line, this defensive line. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. The blitzing the linebacker stuff is also interesting because they're you know with David Montgomery out, uh, Craig. Craig Reynolds. Craig, Craig Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah. Craig Reynolds is stepping in for his role, but you know, one's got pass protect. And that's what that's always been the worry with Jameer Gibbs. But I think they're gonna try and get Jameer Gibbs up to speed. Like, okay, we can't keep keep doing this platooning stuff. But I was thinking of all this, and it made me I finally found a comparison for this offense that works in my brain. I'm very and it excited makes a about lot this. of sense. I watched because I'm watching the game against the Seahawks. I'm like, okay, of course, you know, there's some Saints champagne DNA with the plays, right? It's seam balls, four verts, it's Hank, you know, curl flat, it's play action, there's choice routes to Jameer Gibbs. But I'm like, you know, it's just kind of funky, and I'm trying to like really trying to picture it. This offense is the 2006 New Orleans Saints. It's it's you got a rookie receiving first running back, Reggie Bush and Jameer Gibbs, both yep. weigh 200 pounds, both ran like a 4.37, both are 
don't really run between the tackles, but they're really dynamic pass catchers. Like Jameer Gibbs is literally the most efficient on per route basis uh, pass catcher at any position so far this year. And that's what the most dropped th- option route last week that would have yeah. gone for a big oh, chunk game. I mean, he's oh. left some yards on the field. That's not a criticism. Like he can be no. even better than he's been so far. He's, he's as I do have like issues with other aspects of his game. He's so explosive. It's, <laughs> it's worth getting him on the field. So the other most tar- targeted player is a skilled power slot player. Marquise Colson, Amon Ross St. Brown. That's, a, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. In what way? Oh, I'm not they're, saying Colson is Amon Ross St. Brown. Di- they're just different sort of players. <sighs> well, Colson's Col- bigger, Coulson's but the role's very similar. Stretcher. I guess so. Yeah, but I know. It's it's like a Charles Barkley plays the same position as Sean Kemp. You know, like, <laughs> Okay, I'll give that to you. I <laughs> or think KG. that's a stretch, but I'll give that to you. <laughs> but hey, they're both power slot. They have the same role in this offense. They really do. The other pass catchers are a hodgepodge of vets. Yeah, you know, you got Josh Reynolds is Joe Horn. Uh, Khalif Raymond is Dever- uh, Deverney Henderson. You know, the little speed- old speedster. Deverney, of um, course. Uh, Deuce McAllister was on this team and he's David Montgomery. Like this is, it's perfect. You got, I'll, give, this, I'll give this to you. This is very I good. Know. And this was even before, you know, and Drew Brees became Drew Brees, but this was kind of, you know, his Renaissance year. And it was a lot more, it, Drew Brees became more fully formed the years after, but it was like that hyper efficient vet quarterback on his second team. Play action so heavy. Narrative. Oh, oh, play action. Heavy. It's the same yeah. concepts. It's yeah. choice routes, play action and four verts. And, and that's what they run. And, and yeah, so it just, yeah, sorry. I had to get that take off because it's I like, just been I like that a lot. I like that a yeah. lot. The Lions offense for the first couple of game, it, it's been interesting it, because there are still aspects to it that I find a little bit frustrating. And it's mostly what the run game has looked like over the first couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, they they have this offensive line with a ton of talent. I know Decker missed last week. He's banged up now. But it still feels like they're trying to do so much in the run game that they haven't zeroed in on what they're good at. And the efficiency is just not there. They're 25th in rushing success rate right now. They're 29th when in EPA per rush when they run out of heavy personnel. When they get all those extra tight ends on the field or a fullback, yeah. the run game just doesn't look very good in all of that traffic. And that has been a little bit disjointed and a little bit uneven, and it's frustrating to watch. But the problem is that having that sort of DNA is almost necessary for the way they want to throw the football yeah. because out of heavy personnel – they've gained 20% out of their total passing yards off play action. So to live that way, you almost have to have the run game attached to it, but the run game hasn't been very good so far. So they there's a chance that over the course of the year, they streamline it, they whittle it down, they get to a place where they're running just the stuff that they're good at. But so far, it's definitely been a feeling out process. Like They ran three different versions of trap, I think in the first half against the Seahawks. One was out of the gun, was beautiful. One, they run out of under center. It's fine. And then at another point, they try to do it with the tight end coming in motion, trapping defensive tackle, and it's like a five-yard loss. It's like, guys, just take off run one thing. One what, what was it? Was it Chanel? Coco Chanel was just like, just take off one accessory before you leave the house. Like that's how Too many I pieces feel. of flair. Uh, yes. <laughs> there are too many pieces of flair on the Lions running game right now. That is the conclusion that I've come to. It, I, it, it does feel that way because some of the runs are awesome. And it's, and it's like, go back to it. Go back to it. Call it again. Call it again. And you never see it again. You never, ever see that run again. Uh, I, I do think, like you're saying, with this that offense, it's by design. They don't use quick game. So this is their way to draw the defense up so they can hit the haymakers. It's the jab to set up the big punches. Yeah, you want it to be more efficient and be more sustainable or at least something you can live off of. But it's kind of sort of by design with this offense. And it's, yeah, it can leave some ugly moments, but it's that jab that sometimes is a glancing blow before they hit up, 
just the huge haymakers that they it's working for them because yeah. they're averaging 5.6 yards to go on third down. That is the lowest number in the NFL so That's far huge. this season. So in concert, everything together, it's getting them to a place they want to be. But the running game is just running into some brick walls, literally and figuratively so far this season. I want to say before we move on, you ever watch Parks and Rec? Yeah. So, you know, in Parks and Rec, how everyone hates Jerry. But then later in the show, Ben Ben starts liking Jerry. And at one point, he stands up on the table and he's like, I want everyone to know that I like Jerry. That's how I feel about Jared Goff right now. Watching some <laughs> yeah. of the throws he made in that Seahawks game, I am ready to stand on the table and be like, you know what? I like Jared Goff. Jared Goff is throwing some fucking seeds right now. And yes, we need is. to talk about it. I love it. I love it. Seam ball, like master. That guy's he has no he loves throwing those seam balls like just over the middle of the field. He lets those things go. Ever since Cal, to this day, from Berkeley to Detroit, he's been he's gonna rip those seam balls. So I, I like that. I like that. I like Robert liking Jared. <laughs> I, I like watching Jared Goff play quarterback right now. Yeah. He threw a, a goal ball that he threw to Amon Ross St. Brown at the end of the half was a 40-yard laser that he could have placed in his hands 40 yards down the sideline. He threw a bender to Amon Ra early in the second half where he puts it on his face mask. He lets one go outside the numbers to Josh Reynolds before even he's even out of his break. Like When that guy's playing confidently, oh, it's a reminder that he's like a 6'5 dude with a hose who was the number one pick in the draft, and it's yep. actually really enjoyable to watch. It is. I'm with you on it. All All right. Right. I think our we eight, doubled our, our time. Eight, our eight minutes of Falcons-Lions turned into 15 minutes, but we're okay. It's going to be a good All game, right. guys. Promise. <laughs> let's get to the matchup of the week. We're talking about the Packers offense against the Saints defense. Green Bay's offense has been fantastic. If you look at the underlying metrics so far this year, they're second in the NFL in EPA per drop back between over two games behind only the Dolphins. On the other side, the Saints are third in EPA per play on defense. They are fourth in success rate. And oh my God, are they playing at a high level on that side of the ball right now? I wasn't sure. Yeah. You got a couple guys that are long in the tooth. There were a lot of moving pieces up front where they had to switch out some talented guys for more bargain basement free agent signings. I wasn't sure what it would ultimately look like. The answer is one of the best defenses in football so far. They are playing at an extremely high level. I legit was scared for Bryce Young (laughs) watching that game. He took some hits. Uh, we'll talk about them later. Uh, but the front, I, I think, was a, such a concern for me was that they lost so much talent, yeah. and and which is a good thing because it's like you found that talent to begin with. But all right, how does this all get together? And then you got guys like Carl Granderson like stepping up, and then eleven like, pressures uh, in two games for Carl Granderson. He's making four million bucks this year. He's playing amazing right now. And then like on the back end, okay, all right. Matthew's getting a little long in the tooth. All right, how who else can step up? And then they just draft Elante Taylor, and he looks phenomenal in the slot. And it's and then on top of it, you got a top three linebacker pairing. Uh, I think any way you shake it, like Demario Davis and, and and Pete Werner, who are just playing fantastic right now, and they're playing confident. These guys communicate very well. They make it hard on offenses, and I'll talk about an example in a second, but. This team has got some good talent. They're doing some really just nice sound structure on defense. And they got vets and a nice fun mix of vets, unheralded guys, and young guys. And so, and you can see all these guys communicating very well. It's a very fun defense to watch right now and a very good defense to watch right now. Watching it all together is really something. Every single position group has something about them that's standing out right now. The speed with which the DBs are playing with mm-hmm. is just crazy. 
I mean, Adebo, he's playing really, really well. Marcus Lattimore is on an insane level at this point. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, but they're playing a lot of man. So they're playing about 30% man coverage on early downs, which is the third highest rate in the league. And they've actually started playing less quarters. And to me, that's just a declaration of we're just better than you. (laughs) And And we just know it, especially against the Panthers. That's very true. And so the Panthers, a couple different times in that game, are trying to do what you should do against man coverage. Pick plays, rub routes, trying to do something to create separation. And watching the DBs wiggle around the rubs and continue moving at full speed, it was crazy. Like I, I can't remember seeing a defense defend those sorts of concepts in man coverage that easily. Part of that is the lack of juice the Panthers have, but it was still something to note. So that's the DB room. The linebackers, what's so cool is the combination of roles that they're playing. So you have Demario Davis playing as well in coverage as any linebacker in the league right now in his mid-30s. His sense of where he's supposed to be in some of those Mm -hmm. zone coverages is wild. And then the ways they're using Pete Warner, we'll talk about it in a second. A guy with his frame shouldn't be the run defender he is in, in certain situations. How he's just knifing into the backfield, he's making explosive plays, but he's also holding up as an edge player. The complementary skill sets at virtually every single level of the defense and just the hive mind that they're currently playing with, it is the mark of a well-constructed, very well-coached unit, and I am really enjoying watching it right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's uh, The Werner thing is they are... So they, they the Saints are a four down front. A four, they're not usually in this, but a four three front. And this thing that they're doing when they're in nickel is staying that four four two nickel personnel four two five, bumping the four down lineman over to create an odd front, a three four front, in particular a bare front, which is where the center and both guards are covered. You have a head up center or a head up defensive tackle over the center, and Pete Werner. Moves on over to the outside linebacker spot. Think of him as like James Harrison. You know, he's always away from the tight end. Like, I mean, seriously, that's what they have him at. It's like he doesn't really – he rushes the passer a little bit. He's actually pretty good. He's good at everything. He's such a good athlete. He's good tackler too. And like, yeah, I, I, God, I love him. (laughs) I love their their linebackers. They're fun. But why that's such a pain is because certain runs are good against certain fronts. And now if I can't if you're in the same exact personnel and you don't come out and all of a sudden you're and you're also running a odd three down, not odd looking, but odd three down, three, four front. Well, oh, this zone play that I had isn't great against this. Oh, okay, so we have to make sure we have a kill uh or an alert, a can, a check in the huddle to in case they run that front. And okay, well, that run's not great against this. So it makes it a lot of work on the offensive play co- uh, coaches the whole week and on the quarterback, and the whole offense to learn that throughout the week, the different looks that they have to block against. So they have good personnel, and then they just do those types of things that just makes it just such a pain in the ass for offenses. It's going to be interesting against Matt LaFleur, and we'll get to that side of it, but that is why this team just kicks so much ass and why it's so hard to run against them and have consistent drives against them. The defense looks good, but the Packers are a real challenge right now in the way that this offense is constructed. What about this Green Bay offense stood out to you in the sense of how they're putting stress on defenses? I, I love the play action game and and what they're doing that, the different types of play action. And Jordan loves <laughs> love for ripping those throws and having no <laughs> no qualms with throwing it over the middle. It's awesome. Um, I love the varied run game. The, they package plays. Uh, 
So I, I actually think that it's funny because the Packers are going to have some carryover from the Falcons last week because who the Falcons defense coaches are. Yeah. So they could probably just go, oh, okay, we did this, we did this. You know, it's kind of a way diet, a Pepsi Zero version of the Saints offense, but it, it's, it's similar. Uh, but I think this is, again, this is just like we talked about the Lions. This is a jab, 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 haymaker kind of game. They're going to be hard to run against, but Matt LaFleur is very good at packaging plays and being very game plan-y. Their run game can be varied enough where they can get to different runs. So I do think that they will be a team that does have some answers, which is a lot of work. And I think up front, it's going to be a hoss fight. <laughs> this is a true, I know I said that about the last game, but this one, really, that Packers O-line versus the Saints D-line, there's going to be some bodies going everywhere. And I, I know I've just been talking for five minutes on this, and I think there's going to be some designer plays that are going to be cool. That's what Matt LaFour is very good at. The Saints defense can be aggressive. It's got Honey Badger in it. So you know they're going to bite on some stuff. So maybe they look for some plays to take advantage of that as well. I'm curious what the motion does because mm. the Panthers are a pretty static offense. I mean, they don't they had, weren't using a ton of motion. I don't know if they're going to, which is kind of strange because they have a talent deficiency at receiver. You'd think that they'd want some moving parts. The Packers possible. are using a ton of motion this year. So Rodgers last season had 46 dropbacks where the Packers used jet motion, about 2.9 times a game. Love is already 11 at 11 through two games this year. So five and a half times a game, they're throwing while using jet motion. Mm -hmm. And why that's interesting is that the Saints are so good playing match coverage. Like their zone coverage is turned into man immediately. That's how aggressive that they play it, and that's how smart mm -hmm. those guys are. So if you're playing with those number counts right before the snap consistently, are you able to attack those match coverages in a way that a static offense or a more static offense might not be able to? And that's what happened last week when we watched them play against the Panthers. So yeah. that to me is worth watching. And yeah. the other part about watching Green Bay that I've just really enjoyed, they've done such a great job of picking their spots when they've taken shots in the play action game. Yes. So they have these heavy personnel groupings that they use where it's 12 or 21. You can't really discern it because DeGuar is kind of a fullback and he's kind of a tight end in some looks. It's pro. It's pro. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so it, it doesn't really matter. But the point is they're getting in heavier personnel groupings. And the benefit of it is it goes beyond keeping a team in base defense and throwing against them. They've done such a good job of wadding up the pocket, but only for a second. So they'll have a tight end chip or they'll have a tight end come across the formation and give a little shoulder nudge to the end and then spill out into the flat. So you're slowing down the pass rush, but still getting three or four guys out into the route. Honestly, what it reminds me of is the play action game that the Lions had last year, where you're not tightening it up so much that you're taking away options from your quarterback, but you are putting enough bodies there where you're not worried about the pass rush whatsoever. And you saw that a couple times against Atlanta with seven pass blockers this season. It's not a huge sample size, but the Packers are five of seven for 137 yards in two games. So it's 19.6 yards per attempt. And it's some of the biggest gains that they've had so far over those two games. And I think they drew a huge PI on your boy Trey Flowers on one too. So yeah. it's like that might that's like a you know doesn't count in the box score, but that's another my like boy 30, Trey Flowers. I've been, I've been crushing. You're a Trey I'm, Flowers I'm guy. Trying to be mean. It's just like David Montgomery, uh, Samaj P. Ryan, and Trey Flowers. Those are your three guys this year. <laughs> Uh, David Montgomery I, no, is one of those where I just want so much out of the Lions that I, I just, the juice is, I, I've, I'm just fine. fine is He's enough. playing yes. fine. Uh, yeah. But the, no, it's, and this is getting into like even game planning and what this is how teams operate too, is you look for any tells or any tendencies. I always talk tendency breakers and 
the Saints, when they are in that head-up look, that that odd 3-4 type look, they run single high coverage every single time. And that's me just glancing at this game, watching all 22. It's not I'm not Matt LaFleur. I'm not the Packers staff that like do this. And so, okay, I can guarantee that's cover three or man coverage every single time. There, If I, I'm the quarterback, I look at the head-up nose. Okay, I know it's that. So you can now package plays that go, well, let's take advantage of that. But also on top of that, there's a tell with where Honey Badger is, where Tyron Matthew is. If he is kicked towards the tight end side or he's in the post, it's man coverage. If he is away from the tight end, it's zone. And I figured out watching one game, yes, there might be some breakers for this, but yeah, that's why I just wanted to kind of show an example of like, that's how game planning goes. And a lot of game planning can be very like, well, we got to use these two plays to kind of throw away. We might get six yards on it. We're setting up this play. We're setting up this situation. We're setting up this look. We're going to run that play and we have a kill. Okay, we ran it. They didn't show the look. They, we ran it. They didn't show the look. Okay, now they're in the look. Kill, kill. Alert or can, can. Okay, touchdown. And that's kind of how game planning goes. And sometimes it can be frustrating, but that's the type of game that the Saints make you do. They make you, they make you wait to take those chances. That's why it's going to be really interesting. And I think Jordan Love's going to have some opportunities to hit some, some play action inbreakers. One of the other things I noticed this is the last thing I'll say about the Packers offense. It's so obvious how much more athleticism and explosiveness they have this year and that's without christian watson even playing yeah there were a couple plays in this game they had a jet sweep touchdown to Jaden reed which is just okay like they just didn't have Jaden reed over the last yeah. couple of years like they didn't have that guy with that skill set amari rogers yes and so <laughs> having that role be filled with someone that can impact the game the way that Jaden reed has already been able to i think is notable there was a play in the falcons game where they used luke musgrave in the slot as the clear out guy. And then they hit an in breaker behind it. The fact that your tight end has enough juice to play that role in any given concept is a big departure from what we've seen over the Packers over the last couple of years. And there's been some discourse around the Packers offense over the first two weeks where it's like, Oh, this now they can really be what they want to be. And I think it's important to remember that Aaron Rodgers won two MVP awards yeah. over the last couple of years with his Packers offense. But so much of that was his mind meld and the relationship and connection he had with Devontae Adams. That was the basis of who the Packers were in the passing game. So, But even if the results were great, structurally, this looks so much different that I find it very intriguing. Like Living in this world and what it's ultimately going to look like, especially when Watson gets back and it doesn't sound like he's going to play this week, it's just an offense that I'm consistently going to find myself going back to watch because of all the little Easter eggs that are going to be in there. Right. It's someone actually playing the video game instead of using a cheat code. Yeah. You know? that, that's a very good comparison. <laughs> that, yes. That's how that's all how, how I'll leave it at. All right. Couple of things injury wise to note in this game. Marcus May suspended for three games for violating the league substance abuse policy. He's been playing well. And so that yeah. is definitely something to take note of on the back end for the Saints. Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari not practicing. I know we touched on the Bakhtiari stuff on Sunday night when it seemed like the turf might have been the reason that he didn't end up playing. He came out this week and clarified that that wasn't the reason. It was that his knee flared up last week. That, to me, is more concerning. The fact that now we're two years into this, and even without some sort of huge setback, his knee just, the swelling pops up, and he's going to miss a game after playing in week one. That is troubling. Even with the depth on the offensive line that they have, this group at its best can be one of the best offensive lines in football. And if he's going to be in and out of the lineup and you're missing Jenkins for any amount of time, it's just a bummer to be robbed of that version of this Packers team because they were clicking in week one playing together. Yep. And and it's 
not just and again speaking of another video game analogy it's not just like madden where it's like okay we'll just bump this guy over he's an 82 overall we're fine it's a the whole week you got a game plan for this stuff and if when someone backs out the day before the game or late then it's like well we had the, the packers had a whole package using a six offensive lineman and they had to like flop guys around just to get to those looks so now three guys are moving spots on a, a one play and now they have to go back to the next play so there's a trickle down effect that even if these guys are talented or decent or solid depth pieces it's such a this is the human element of this that's a lot to ask guys guys switching sides left tackle to right tackle because your star left tackle that you paid a bunch of money has only played what 600 snaps in 30 something months you know, so it's that's tough, and it honestly, like you said, if it's a turf thing, that was already a weird thing. I, I understand his argument for it, but I'm just saying that's already a, a unique thing to deal with. Because if you even looked at their schedule, it was like four of the last seven games would have been on turf. It's like so you're going to miss half of the, uh, the tail end of the season. It's like oh, that's just already. But if you're just missing time like this, it's yeah, it's very just a situation that's just kind of gotten out of hand I, I really feel that way where it's just it's gone on way too long where it's just like all right come on something's got to happen yeah it, it's got to be frustrating when you're Matt LaFleur when you're the guys in that building and I understand if he's not ready to play he's not ready to play right it, it's just really tough this deep into it especially when it seemed like he was kind of in the clear heading into the season and clearly that is not the case exactly. all right let's get to a segment we used to do a lot last year, really enjoyed doing it. We call it Under the Hood. We look at a unit that is either playing much worse or much better than we might have expected, and we're trying to do some diagnostics about why that's happening. Let's start with the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. Through two games, the Jags are 31st in the league in EPA per play on offense. And this was a top 10 offense by any metric you want to look at by the end of last season, an offense that I had a ton of optimism about heading into the season. And the only the Steelers have been worse so far this year in EPA per play than the Jags. What is wrong with the Jacksonville Jaguars offense, Nate? <laughs> stop. Like, score your points that you worked for. Stop. Like, stop turning the ball over and catch the ball in the end zone. Like, that. that is it. it catch it's the ball, the, period. Period. Right? It's. I think he, like, leads in drop rate, right? They're, they're up there. I haven't looked at the drop numbers, but going back yeah. and watching the game on Sunday... I counted 10 passes that hit a receiver's hands but weren't caught. That could be glancing off of them. It could be not getting your feet in bounds, whatever. Trevor finishes 22 of 41 on the day. Even if half of those get completed or 6 of 10 get completed, the day looks much, much different than the box score any stat would lead you to believe. They they're second in drop rate in the entire league right now, and that none of those. And I remember looking this up. None of those include any of those in the end zone. The four that they had in the end zone, and like you're saying, if two of those get caught in the end zone, okay, and then one of those other drops, one of them was like a third and twelve that Trevor rips a throw to Christian Kirk and hits him in the chest and he drops it. One was a, a fumble. Totally... One yes. of the drops was a fumble that they lost because it was a lateral. That's what that's what's happening with this team right now. Is yep. the drops are turning into turnovers somehow. It felt like, and this was happening to them last year, where they would just move the ball up and down. And the whole year, I'm like, man, I watch it. It looks pretty good. The efficiency numbers are great. And then turn o- Trevor threw like three dumb picks in the end zone, or uh, they had a drop. Travis Etienne dropped a ball, and he's tripping over himself on a wide open touchdown. Like they just like as soon as they get inside the twenty, they just lose their mind. It, it just happens again. But also, it, it's I think overall, I just want to say this. That, oh. Uh, one thing, fumbles already. They're, they've lost the third most EPA in the league to turnovers so far this year. Obviously, you're not going to beat the Browns. 
in that metric after what happened on Monday I, night. I, I had the same stat. <laughs> okay. But again, these are all things that I think will regress to the mean in a good way. I, I, they're eighth in success rate. They're above average in both the run and the pass. And I think Trevor is playing incredible. Like I really do. I know, again, this is the whole box score number stuff. Just watching him, I can only count one play where I thought he didn't go to the right read on. And honestly, I have an ex- I could have made an excuse for him if he said, if he gave me an answer, if I was his coach, I'd, I would have accepted it. I won't get into it, but he's playing well. He's moving. I thought the old line played way better than I was anticipating going into that to rewatch that Chiefs game. I just think it's fluke plays and guys got to take care, uh, take care of the ball and take advantage of their chances and everything will even out o- over time. Yeah, the fact that they're middle of the road in success rate right now and they lead the league in drops, it, that, that's all you're, they said the second most drops in the league. That's all you need to know. I mean, they're just, the bad breaks are, are everywhere right now. And yeah. I, rewatching that game, there's no reason to be panicking if you're a Jags yeah. fan right now. It, it's been frustrating. I guarantee it watching the way that they played on Sunday, but they are very, very close. And when I say very, very, I'm talking like inches away on half yeah. a dozen plays. And it's that's not an overstatement. Inches away from putting up thirty points, like which is, and that'll make you feel really good. And so that it's, and again, and you're also playing the defending world champs who have a good defense, like a very good defense. And I think we're all coming around on that. It's like this is a good unit. So I, again, uh, this Texans game with Derek Stingley out might be a, you know, some some mouthwash for this offense. And I think two more safeties that have been two hurt. Guys, right? I, I don't know yeah. if Petrie and Ward are playing in this game, but they've been banged up. So this might be a get-right game uh, for Trevor and the Jags. I feel just fine about where they are, despite what the numbers would tell you. Let's talk, talk about another unit where maybe that's not the case. What is going on with the Browns' offense? Browns, one spot ahead of the Jags, are 30th in EPA per play on offense right now. You mentioned that stat. The Jags are 30th in the amount of EPA they've lost on turnovers. Mm-hmm. Browns are dead last in that stat, which when you fumble and it's a fumble return for a touchdown yeah. in the fourth quarter, it's going to hurt your win probability, your expected points added. Yeah, it's, it's not super great. But beyond that, beyond the fluky plays, what would you say is ailing the Browns offense right now? And real quick, I looked up one of those other kind of EPA numbers. Uh, no team has lost more EPA to penalties than the Falcons offense. So uh, just keep that in mind too, a positive regression in that way. But anyway, sorry, I looked that up and I was like, I actually was like, I thought that was pretty curious, but this Browns team, I, of course, Nick Chubb injury is going to be the, the huge thing because of such what a good player he is. But what I'm watching with this Browns team is a quarterback that looks incredibly rusty, that you do not want to be rusty because you paid him a lot of money to be a star. Uh, I just think, I actually think scheme wise, I wasn't as down on it as I thought I was going in, uh, passing wise. Cause when you watch on a TV copy, this is a huge difference why you want to watch all 22. Can never see the back end. You can't yeah. see the safeties and the receiver routes down the field. Um, unless you watch a man and cast because they're zooming out, which is nice. It's so many times Deshaun Watson is pulling the ball and starting to create. I'm like, Oh, there he goes again. Like, there he goes again. And so nice having context now. I'm like, actually, some of the concepts are okay or solid. I have no qualms with them. Some guys are not getting open, and sometimes when they are open, he is a hair late and not anticipating. He looks like a guy that hasn't played a lot of football. It feels like sometimes he's just a touch late. I think he's seeing everything okay, but it's just a touch late, and I think that's just dragging down the consistency in the passing game right now. Yeah, I was 
more encouraged with the way that he played in terms of throwing the ball than I thought I was going to be after watching the game. Again, we got three or four completions that are a hair away from being completed where there's a a toe out of bounds or it's a little bit late. The play you're talking about, uh, we talked about this before the show, threw a corner route to Elijah Moore that was a hair late that got broken up. I think Elijah Moore can do a better job of coming back to that ball and being flat coming back to the sideline there. I mean, I I thought that that was was not necessarily all of Deshaun Watson's fault in that ball. It wasn't like he was two steps late. It was just that uh, it's a good example of NFL windows, NFL timing. It's like if you're just not perfect or don't or better than perfect, it's like boom, boom. Everything is just a boom, boom play, which sometimes you lose those boom, booms. Here's what I'm most worried about. And I think if Nick Chubb was healthy, I would feel fine about where this was ultimately going to go. The only thing, the thing that worries me the most is that his feel in the pocket and his tendency to look down at the pass rush, that has not gotten better than it was last year. And I don't know if that improves. That's the one thing where that would be in the back of my mind. If that was just going to be how he handles muddy pockets moving forward, that's a serious concern. So that is something that I think you should file away if you're a Browns fan or anyone watching this offense, because that's troubling. But independent of that, talking about structure and the way that the offense is built, I actually think that there would be a way if they drifted more toward what this offense was in years past to just take more off of him, that that would be a positive. Because if you look at what they've done under center play action this year, that is the best version of him right now, where you're making the game simple on him. It's a big clear out. It's a big dig coming back under it. Just throw the ball into an ocean of space and just let it rip. He's eight of 10 for 103 yards off under center play action this season. Here's the problem with potentially leaning into that version of the offense. That version of the offense is connected to an under center run game that is driven by Nick Chubb. That goes away without Nick Chubb. He is probably, in my opinion, right now, the most valuable running back in the league in terms of how your offense has to change without him. McCaffrey's probably in that conversation. But I think Chubb is right, right there. And so if you can't have that complimentary under center run game, under center play action game, then what you have to do, because look at these numbers. They're staggering. Nick Chubb so far this season has a rushing success rate of 57.1%. Okay. That's the fourth highest in the league. The league average is 35%. Without Nick Chubb on the field, the Browns rushing success rate this year is 30%, which is 27th in the NFL. Feels like that. He does. Their run game is so strange because when they get all those heavy bodies on the field and things seem like they're all mucked up, he's so, so good at finding little creases and understanding where his angles are. It's a really it's difficult the, it's run the game restart. to be good in. Like he bumps into a guy and then he just goes, and he just, like, how he can get to the fourth, fifth gear so quickly is amazing, especially at 230. It changes so much when you put someone else yeah. back there. So if you can't rely on the run game, to create sustainability and early down success, at least keeping you on track, then what you have to do is you have to kind of pull away from that version of your offense and put more on the quarterback. There's going to be more of this quick game stuff. There's going to be more of the empty stuff. There's going to be more RPOs. And right now, he's just not playing well enough to justify that level of control within the offense. But without Nick Chubb, it almost necessitates that you give it to him. And that's why I'm a little bit concerned. Building the offense around Nick Chubb is way different, like a way easier proposition, even in modern times, than building an offense around Jerome Ford. And and that's someone that likes Jerome Ford. Uh, it's 
I think it's a the empty stuff is what we had highlighted as something that we would want as a way to add training wheels to this offense to build. They lead something the league. Around. They lead the yes, league in empty do. dropbacks, and I guarantee you they will lead the league it. by the end of the season because that's what he and does right well. Now, he does well historically, and right now he's not seeing it how quickly as he should. If you want to see someone ripping it from empty, watch Geno Smith, and that's how quick you have to be if you want to be how Deshaun plays. Deshaun. Is a he's a big game hunter as well. He wants to attack downfield, so they're trying to run a lot of high lows for him with 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 some, a dig, a lot of digs behind uh, underneath routes, and he's ripping some digs, but he's getting there a second late, mm-hmm. and just or he's not reading the right side of the field, and he's getting into as like his third read, and it's like uh, no, get to, get to the boundary over there, like that is your read on this play, and so I think that is where, and also like I like what you're saying too, or trying to figure this out, where revert back to what the DNA of maybe Stefanski is or what they were doing with Baker a little bit is, and this is a little bit of the, like, if we run the ball 40 times, we win every game kind of thing. But uh, when Deshaun Watson's had 40 more dropbacks as a Brown, they're 0 and 3. They, it's, they have yet to show that they can sustain 40 plus dropbacks, which is what elite quarterbacks do game in game out. They have high, high amount of dropbacks because that's how you win. So right now they're showing that that hasn't been sustainable. Also some awareness of personnel, like TJ Watt had a rundown sack because he's one on one with Dewan Jones and yeah. empty. You got to know that. You yeah. got to know you got to get the ball out and not get into creation mode. So just those little things. There's another one he took a sack on, I believe, where it's he's trying to get to a um, uh, Elijah Moore from the backfield in the red zone. Like they're kind of like running a double move. It's the exact same type of concept to the field. It's an empty play as well. Oh no, it's not Elijah Moore's in the backfield. Sorry, but the exact same trip side on that play is the Braxton Berrios play I highlighted on uh, Wind the Clock this week. It's a staple of the Shanahan type of offenses, but that's where he has to throw because he's hot. He's not showing that next level of how to get out of these tough situations yet right now, and that's going to hinder this offense if you're going to rely on him more, theoretically. We talked about this. If they were going to do the stuff that theoretically goes to his strengths, it would be empty and be a lot of RPOs. Yep. They are 29th in the NFL in EPA per dropback out of empty so far this season. Some of that mm-hmm. is the pick six, right? That he threw early of in course. the game. Like, but those but numbers still, are not, those numbers are noisy. Success rate, I'm sure he's it's not 25th yeah. in success rate. He's 25th, exactly. so it's still not go. high, even if you throw yeah. out the hugely negative plays. That's gonna be that's gonna be top 10 for them. To live. And, and 100%, and especially yeah. without the run game to sustain you on early downs. And the other thing is the RPOs. He's just not reading them well. Nope. There are two plays that stuck out to me. There's one early in the game where it's an RPO with a bubble to the left side, and he just eats like a disgusting sack. They just hand the ball off. Just hand the ball off. And then in the second half, he tries to throw the quick out RPO when there was a hole that I could have gotten six yards through. Just hand the ball off. And that's the problem is that it feels like without Chubb, the answer is probably going to be give it, putting more on his plate to control those aspects of the offense. And right now, his play and his decision-making and his feel isn't justifying that level of control. So that concerns me. Those are things that you need to trigger, man. You you run those type, you run empty and quick game and RPO stuff when you have Trevor or or Justin Herbert or you know Mahomes. You have the the big wigs like those are the guys that can get get rid of it and make those quick decisions. And the out one is the best example because that is that I'm glad you brought that up because that is what it is called an advantage throw. I like my matchup. I like the leverage over there. I'm gonna just throw it out. That means he just went. I'm bypassing looking at the box right here, which. I bet you Bill Callahan is livid. It's a six-man box. Yeah. 
You run it. I don't care who who's out there. I don't care if it's Randy Moss. Maybe, maybe it's Donovan Randy. Peoples Jones. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was getting. I didn't want to say that, but yes, exactly. But uh, the other thing, and this is well, finish off. Um, this is more of a schematic quirk. Is the Browns in the pre? Because just because I did this research, I got to share it. I got to shoot my shot. Sorry, guys. But uh, the Browns of the preseason were kind of you know they're experimenting when Jerome Ford was out. And they're not playing Nick Chubb in preseason. They did a lot of zero running back personnel. Zero, oh, one, oh, two, oh, three. That's tight ends and receivers only. So far this season, it actually turned out to be like a thing. And it actually might turn out to be more of a thing when you don't have Nick Chubb. They've run 21 plays this year so far uh, without a running back on the field. The next highest is the Saints with six. It's the second most snaps without a running back through two weeks in the past decade. And so it's, and I don't think it's going to be going away when your all pro running back is no longer, uh, is now on IR. So like, that's another quirk that they might lean into. It makes a lot of sense as an empty team, because if you want right. to keep that personnel package on the field, then you can break that out into empty. And where yeah. typically, if you have a running back out there and empty, you have a receiver that's essentially okay. dead. Now, yeah. Elijah Moore becomes that receiver and it turns your empty game into something different. So they're right. still feeling out some of that stuff. And I they think are. that there are elements that are going to get better, but I still have a pretty substantial amount of skepticism about the way that he's playing and how much is going to be on his plate. And we don't have to talk about this now, but it's definitely something worth revisiting later. He's making $230 million fully guaranteed. Like yes. he has to be not even just average or not even slightly below average to justify what they're paying him for this to actually work. So it, it's a concern, not only because of how poorly he's playing, but because he has to go so far to actually warrant the way that you've spent your resources and how you've built this roster. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's stick with some sadness here two games into the season. We got an 0-2 desperation index that we're going to chat about very quickly. We want to talk about some pretty monstrous games for these 0-2 teams. I want to focus on three 0-2 teams specifically because if we threw the Bengals in here, they would definitely be the most desperate considering the stakes that they have. I wanted to ask you, for whom would a loss be most catastrophic between the Chargers, the Vikings, and the Broncos, in your opinion, going into this week? Absolutely, the Chargers. Just absolutely. <laughs> they, they can't handle that. <laughs> I don't think that building can last Why, that. why uh, the Chargers? It's there of those three teams, I think, uh, you know, the Vikings, we've talked about this almost like a bonus year, it feels like. And and even with the Broncos, now with the new revamped timeline with Sean Payton, I think with the Chargers, it's like this is, I wouldn't say Super Bowl or bust, but deep playoff run or bust. Uh, at least win a playoff game at the very minimum. But if you're starting 0-3, 
even with seven teams, even with 17 games, that is still behind the eight ball to, to be making the playoffs. And especially for a regime that more or less all in, <laughs> I mean, just this year, at least how they maybe look at it. So I, I think that is just the makeup of this team. It just feels this way that like this would be a door kind of shutting on, on this team, current makeup of the team. Yeah, I think that's fair. If you look at the other two situations, the Vikings won 13 games last year. Mm-hmm. They knowingly took a step back this year. I think everyone in that building understood that things were going to cr- crash back down to earth a little bit. They were 11-0 and in one-score games last year. They're 0-2 in one-score games so far this year. That's how this stuff works. So and, now they're 11-2 and over two years. <laughs> yes. And they, they willfully shed talent mm-hmm. this offseason. They knew what they were doing. This was going to be a small step back in service of potential steps forward in the future. And there may be a little bit of ugliness. What they are doing on defense is fucking hilarious. Like this is a junk ball pitcher bit of nonsense because they know that's what they need to do. So yeah. this there's always a chance that this was just going to be a frustrating kind of weird year for the Vikings. I will say it is a little bit disappointing to see them struggle so mightily in areas where they were so focused on improving this offseason. The fact that this team is dead last in EPA per carry through its first two games after all of the all of the words they spilled, all of the time they spent letting everyone know they wanted to be more efficient running the ball mm-hmm. this offseason. That's tough. They're averaging 2.7 yards a carry. They're the only team in the league without a run of 10 plus yards this season. No way. That yeah. actually does make a lot of sense, but holy crap. They're the only team in the league without a 10 plus yard run. And they, they just traded for Cam Akers. That is the place that the Vikings run game is in right now. Who, whose biggest thing blemish against in the last few years is that he is not explosive. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a tough situation. That is the one thing I will say. Even if we are in pretty good territory with how this Vikings offense and how this Vikings staff has done over the last couple of years, they won a lot of football games. That part of it is a little bit disheartening. To be fair, they are tied for the league lead with 11 20-plus yard completions. They're tied with the Dolphins. So the passing so game is still very fun, but the running game has been a nightmare. For the Broncos, we're on Sean Payton's time. Like that's what this is right now. He doesn't need to save Russell Wilson. He doesn't need to make the playoffs. That guy's making twenty five million dollars a year. He's got I don't know how long to figure this thing out. So even in that building, <laughs> even if this thing ends up going belly up for Denver this year, ultimately it's not about this season in Denver. So no one three start while disappointing isn't really yeah. that big of a deal. If the Chargers lose this game in bad, embarrassing fashion. We're going to start talking about people losing jobs. Like that—that yeah. that is what is on the line right now for the Chargers. They, the ownership and the people in charge there, they left no doubt in conversations that they had with what the expectations were coming into this season. So there is a lot hanging in the balance for this Chargers team. And good God, is this going to be a weird, bizarre? Just stare into the abyss sort of game against the Vikings on Sunday. I am beyond excited for the Vikings. Just toothless run game versus the Chargers run defense who just can't stop anybody on the ground or just period. So I am very, and there might be some fireworks just launching the ball through the air on both sides of the ball, which is going to be a lot of fun. But I think it's going to be a 35 31 game that one of these teams loses in horrifying fashion. Oh, yeah. Like just just yeah. mark it down right Pick now. Six I would almost two guarantee drill, something like that. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a great call. Uh, it's not going to be normal. Like, there's no way. It just and watch. It's going to be like twenty one seventeen, and like nothing happens. But put it in perspective: is char- like the Chargers and everyone's demeanor there, and the press conferences. It's just like everyone's in dire straits. And then the biggest thing in Broncos land right now is: uh, will Russell Wilson wear a wristband? Like, you know, like that. Just different zero and twos. 
Like <laughs> different 0 and 2 is going on for a couple teams right now in the NFL. The Los Angeles Chargers should be th- so thankful right now that, sh- that the Chicago Bears and the Cincinnati Bengals exist. Yes, they. So yes. so thankful because what the vibe is right now, press conferences, you said it. That would be getting a lot more attention right now mm-hmm. if the Bears GM wasn't having to call emergency press conferences to explain why the building is on fire. So just yeah. just something to keep in mind as we head into. They the just weekend. keep needing Hall of Fame quarterbacks to get an IR. They need <laughs> franchises just be burning like burning as they walk by. Like just keep up stuff happening in the news cycle every week. Speaking of those zero and two teams that are in the news cycle, let's talk about Joe Burrow and his calf injury because there are a few notable injuries that I think we want to hit before we move on, just because they're huge and how they impact this week and the season in general. Joe Burrow is not practicing in full. He was on the practice okay. field today. They are not sure what his status is for Monday, so that's kind of up in the air. Bryce Young, also not practicing. He's not expected to play this week. So we're two games into his career, and he's already going to miss a game, which is particularly troubling. Anthony Richardson, still in concussion protocol, also not practicing Thursday, and the Colts play the Ravens on Sunday. So those are three pretty monstrous quarterback injuries that we have three weeks into the season. Yeah, and even CJ Stroud, who is playing, has a shoulder, and he's <laughs> he's on injury report as well. So yeah, uh, welcome to the NFL. Uh, it's but uh, no, the Bryce Young one is kind of a bummer because it's just you know he, I'm telling you those shots that the Saints were hitting on him are like okay, this is my worst fear. I didn't think it would happen this quickly, uh, and yeah, and you could just see the tightness of that uh, that whole offense. Uh, the the Panthers are a weird team right now. I love their defense though, <laughs> uh, but with Richardson, the Richardson concussion one. It, did it happen on the touchdown? I believe trying- so. Yes. Okay. Because I watched it in all 22. Touchdown happened. And then like two plays happened after that. And he's everything's normal. He's making a kill check at the line, everything. I'm like, yeah, way to go, AR. And all of a sudden, Minshew's in. And of course, I'm not, I am not. didn't watch that game. Like It was on my multi-view, but I didn't really know that that's what happened until I watched all 22. So yeah, that was that's interesting that like they kind of didn't catch until a couple plays later. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying that's interesting. But then, yeah, the Joe Burrow one is that's how these calf injuries are. And until this is right, you can look eye tests, statistically, everything that it's affecting that entire team, uh, that entire unit on, on what should be so explosive and good. And so it's stinks. The it's offense like was I, okay for stretches of that game on Sunday, but he just doesn't look comfortable. Even when, even before he tweaked it at the end of the game, and that was before he tweaked it. And now it's going to be even worse. Yeah. He, he just, the lack of trust in his body and the ability yep. to push the ball downfield to just to play the way that Joe Burrow can play. It, it's just been sapped from him right now. And I, yep. the prospect of it looming the entire season is just absolutely this devastating for them, for their fan base. And for me who picked them in our wins league and picked them Number to win the overall. Super Bowl, I am definitely <laughs> the most important party involved here. <laughs> well, it, it's just that cat, like, the confidence thing in being an athlete, especially a quarterback, is, you know, that's everything. I mean, watch how Baker plays, Baker Mayfield plays when he's confident, when he's not confident. Look at him right now. But like when you have no confidence in your body, that's the scariest thing. Cause then you go, I don't know if I can step into this. And what if I step into it too much and it gets hit and it pops and then I'm really out for the season? And it's just, and this is something he had to work through with ACL. Remember him being pretty yeah. open about the fact that he just really it, – it took a while for him to retrust his knee and how to play and how to move. And talk about confidence. Joe Burrow is like 38% confidence. Like it, yeah. It's such yeah. a huge part of just who he is and the way that he plays. Yep. And if you take that away, it's going to be a potentially long season that should not have been a long season for the Bengals. Right. One more bit of news that just absolutely sucks. Right before we started recording, sounds like Trayvon Diggs tore his ACL – 
at practice, according to Tom Pelissero. Oh, that unit looked like the best defense in football. It looked like a potential like season changing defense. And to lose him at this stage in practice, that is absolutely devastating. I don't even know what to say about it. It's fucking brutal. I saw, oh, he's out of practice. Oh, okay. Or out for practice. Oh, he's on crutches. And as soon as I heard crutches, it's like, oh, no. That's like high ankle sprain, bad ankle thing, or a knee. Like, it's like just automatic. It's just brutal. That defense, rewatching these games, because uh, I wrote about it this week, holy crap. Like, they true, like you're hinting at is like, this defense has potential to be a 2015 Broncos type. And I mean that. It's, they are phenomenal right now. This stinks. This really, really does stink. I, I hate this. They're they're playing at a special level, mm-hmm. and to lose him on the back end and lose that complete unit that they really were, even if they have some death at that position, and you know potentially you you bump one guy out and they but have some the corners ace. they can throw at it. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. If the things ultimately change because he's not on the field, and I just to have that defense robbed from us uh, over the course of this season is an absolute bummer. All right, Thanks. speaking of absolute bummers, let's get to fourth screen. Each week. I have you guys send in emails to petition what should be in the fourth screen of my multi-view, the fourth game that I'm going to throw on. Typically, the saddest, most unhinged argument is the one that ends up winning. The reason that I picked this one this week is that you guys do a great job with these. Okay, They're, they're funny. They're depressing like in all the best ways. But the one that we got from Katie this week was real. Okay. Like th- this was a real bit of just existential dread and pain as a fan okay. of a team. And that's why I wanted to pick this one. So Katie says, I think it goes without saying how all of us Browns fans feel after that Monday night game in Pittsburgh. I was there for the 0-16 parade, the no call in the Chiefs game on DPJ to lose a chance at an appearance in the AFC Championship. And of course, the infamous goodbye letter from Bacon Re- Baker Regan Mayfield. But that Monday night game and the loss of, of Browns legend and Nick Chubb has me broken beyond measure. If I told myself that the Browns would have had what appears to be a championship-level defense that gave up negative seven yards in the fourth quarter but still resulted in a loss, I would think that's crazy, even being a Browns fan. To top this all off, I now have to hope and pray the $230 million quarterback that nobody asked for can perform at a level that scrapes average while also not getting to see my favorite player of all time take the field again this season. When will us Browns fans ever get consistent play on both sides of the ball? Maybe, just maybe, the offense can pull it together against the corpse of Ryan Tannehill and a Tennessee team that on paper should have no chance against a loaded Browns roster. But the sad part is, I know that none of this matters. The Jim Schwartz defense that appears elite, the plethora of offensive weapons, and the state of the AFC in general, if our $230 million quarterback can't get back to, at minimum, a game manager with average level play. I should expect this by now as a Browns fan, but I truly do feel this Tennessee game is going to say a lot about where this offense is now and in the future. So without further ado, as much as it pains me to say this, I am submitting Browns Titans for your fourth screen. This game will either show us Browns fans that we have, even without Nick Chubb, a team that can beat the same old Browns narrative and rise up and win it for Nick, or it can be a complete disaster that us Browns fans will be calling for the entire front office and coaching staff to be fired because the quarterback is going nowhere. It truly has the potential to be a game that divides the fan base. I can only hope for us fans' sake that the same old Browns narrative can be erased on Sunday. That that's that's decades worth of of pain and anguish just weighing on this woman. Just and read I, that the whole time, I, nodding. I sincerely like, appreciate that because I deeply understand what it is like to live this life with the quarterbacks. Bravo, 
and and wasting it maybe a, a, an elite defense. Yes, that, yes, is, yes. You were like, that's part of it. We were hard. We didn't mention this in under the hood, but part of the reason that this is so frustrating for the Browns, the defense looks insane. They insane. have a defensive success rate of seventy eight percent so far this year. Okay, we're just talking about the Cowboys and their all time defense. Yeah. The gap between the Browns and the Cowboys at number two is bigger than the gap between the Cowboys and the Jets at 17. That's how good the Browns defense has been down in and down out this year. So good. And the defense so might, or the offense might ruin it. The offense might completely sabotage it. The Steelers average distance to go on third down was almost 10 yards. It was like 9.8 yards or something. That's It's insane what this team is doing. Other than that one play to Pickens, they just absolutely dominated. All right. Let's get to Tice's Touts, presented by BetMGM, your three favorite bets of the week. Send us out of here, my friend. Okay. Surprising no one, actually referring to two games that we talked about, or two teams at least. I'm going with the Falcons, plus four. I got it at plus four at the Lions. It's at plus three now. It went from three and a half when we started the show to I just checked again. It's three by the end of the show, and this show is not live. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not, not affecting, of course, uh, I'm going next. Everything I talked about, you can re-listen to earlier in the show if you want to know why. But, uh, next I'm going with the Jags minus nine at the Texans. Big number, especially on the road. I think this Jags offense is sitting on one and the Jags defense has actually been playing okay. What better than Played I was really well. Expect- yeah. Like better than I was expecting, especially against a Chiefs team. Uh, so yeah, I'm going Jags minus nine. I think this is a get right game for them. The Texans have done some nice things. I just think the Jags offense is going to overwhelm them. Uh, then the last one, I'm going with another team that I think is sitting on one that's playing better than their record is the Pats, the Patriots minus two and a half at the Jets. I think that Patriots defense is very real. I think that Jets quarterback situation is very not. And I'm not going to overthink this like I did last week when I was like, Oh, Give me the nine points. The Jets will be inspired to like make it up for Rodgers. And then I watched that Cowboys defense. It's like, ah, oh, never mind. Ah, oh, never mind. So Patriots defense, very good. I think the offense is actually a lot better than people are giving them credit for right now. Jets defense is a lot, but going with the Patriots minus two and a half. I would, this is typically, if I were talking to anyone else, where I'd be like, you're really going to bet on a Patriots offense with Kendrick Bourne as the number one receiver, but that doesn't <laughs> work on you. So that's nope. the problem is that you are truly built to believe in this Patriots offense in a way that no one else in America is. So I can't even make fun of you about it. Nate, their top two targets are Hunter Henry and Kendrick Bourne. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sounds like an awesome? elite offense to me. Perfect. I will say uh, the offensive line does. There's, there's no way to spin that. You can spin Kendrick nah. Bourne to your benefit, but that nah. Patriots offensive line against that jets defensive line. I give it like, Six minutes into the first quarter before you start regretting this. Start regretting it. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, that Jets defense line, uh, you know, no one has ever talked about them. <laughs> no, one, no one highlights how good they are. Oh, shoot. That's right. Why did you, well, I know. Uh, that's the thing. Is This week was hard. I almost went to Chargers minus one. That was almost one I looked at. And then I go, what am I doing? I even said you, to you guys If you had show, done that, I would have sent Lauren a message and be like, we need to get my man some therapy. Yeah. Like, I, I would. That, that's one of those moments where I really would have started to worry about you as a person if you were going to put money on the Chargers-Vikings game. I almost did. I still might. Just don't. Please, please don't. Please don't. I, I want you to I make won't. it through the weekend. I do want to enjoy the schlock a little bit too. I, I think that's going to be a lot of a lot of exciting schlock in that game. If you can avoid having any sort of personal, emotional, financial yep. investment in that game, j- just enjoy it for what it is because it is going to be a sight it's, to behold. Anyone's listened to me making bets on the show the last couple of years. That's like a new like rule of mine Like for betting. It's like, oh, it's a game I really want to watch, good or bad. I'm not betting on it just for that reason because I don't want to be angry. I just want to enjoy it. 
All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to, for listening to our 16 minutes on a game that we're going to spend eight minutes on. That's what this show is all about. We will be back on Sunday nights, breaking down all the week three action live. This will probably come out after the Thursday night game starts, but if you want to go watch our Thursday night recap on our YouTube channel, if you're listening to this on Friday morning, highly encourage you guys to do that. We'll be chatting about Niners Giants, so please go listen to that. All the other shows available in your feed. Me and Chase Daniel doing in the pocket broke down all the week, all the quarterbacking news from the week. Justin Fields, Tua, Sam Howell, plenty of stuff to dig into there. Prospects to pros with Dane and Nate gives you all of the draft talk that you're looking for in September. These sickos that I love and truly cherish. Please go check that out if you have not. And then Football GM is coming your way on Saturday. That is all we have for now. Please come back and check out the week three recap on Sunday night. Until then, talk to you guys soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.